Well, friends, as we've been working our way through the book of Acts on Sunday morning, considering the life of the early church, one of the things that has become impressed on my heart more and more is the place and the power of prayer in the life of the early church. While if you asked me before, I I would have said yes, in my mind at least, I hold prayer in a high position. I would have to admit that in my heart and, and even in my practice at times, I have not both personally and pastorally held prayer in such high regard. But as we've been looking at Acts, it has begun to change my thinking and feeling and doing on this. The study of Acts has also run parallel in God's providence with my own personal reading of a book that I cannot recommend enough to you this evening. The study of prayer by Charles Spurgeon. Long ago, Charles Spurgeon came to the same conclusion for his church that I have for hours. That the growth and advancement of the kingdom of God within a local church is directly related to their giving themselves to prayer. So I've titled this series of talks after that book, which is really just a collection of Spurgeon's own talks to his congregation during and about their prayer meetings. You'll notice that I'm going to be quoting from Spurgeon quite a bit in this series. The origin of the title of that book is worth pointing out, especially in this first talk. Spurgeon called the collection of talks... Only a prayer meeting. As I've titled this series of talks, Only a Prayer Meeting. He called it that as a jab to those in his church who gave reason for their absence at the prayer gathering by saying, Oh, it's only a prayer meeting. It's only a prayer meeting. That is all that it is. Or is it? And if it's only a prayer meeting, do we understand the power that's held out in this meager little gathering? I realize that prayer meetings are not attended by many in churches. In fact, many churches have done away with prayer meetings altogether. Instead, aiming for convenience and comfort in their gatherings. Spurgeon asked his congregation this way. How could we expect a blessing If we were too idle to ask for it, how could we look for a Pentecost if we never met with one accord in one place to wait upon the Lord? Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. So in this first talk, I want to give you an argument for prayer meetings. And maybe you can pass this argument along to those who decided not to join us tonight. And this argument is short and simple. It's the title for this talk. That God gives us so much for our meagerness. And by meagerness, I mean our little, our lack, our weakness. What I mean by that is that despite prayer meetings being held in such a low regard among many Christians, God is still willing to take what meager prayers we may offer up and do great things through them. So that's my plan over the next month and a half to help us understand one central truth. God gives us so much when we come to him in his grace and goodness and when we come to him together. 
So why don't we hold the gathering of God's people to pray as the greatest privilege of the church? Alongside preaching, I really believe that. That it is the greatest privilege of God's people to be able to talk to Him together. At the end of the day, the reason that we have not taken up prayer, I think, is twofold. One reason outside and one reason inside. The outside temptation that I believe undermines our prayer and also our prayer meetings is a temptation toward worldliness. Pastor Sean hinted at this last week in his talk about why we are here and considering how worldliness has crept into the modern church. But this is not new. Worldliness has always been a threat to God's people. It's always been a threat to God's people. Jesus' own brother James takes this up in his letter to the church when he says flat out, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, what does this look like as it relates to prayer meetings? It looks like trading the clinging to God for clinging to the world. It looks like neglecting the assembly of God's people to be able to do other things out and about. It looks like ignoring these simple means of God's grace to us and attempting flashier feats of fruitful frivolity. That was four F's in a row. Flashy feats of fruitful frivolity. Thank you. To put it simply, worldliness shows itself in our prayer meetings by simply canceling them for something more convenient, more fun, or more exciting. Spurgeon said it this way in his day, The times are out of joint, and many are hoping to make them more and more so. Brethren, we must each one live if the life of the church is to be alive. We must live unto God if we expect to see the pleasure of the Lord prospering in our hands. To summarize this point and to move on, the first threat to our prayers and our prayer meetings, the very blessing of God then, is in our being drawn away by the lure of lesser glories, by the temptation to spend our time out there doing other things. But it isn't just a temptation outside. There's also a temptation inside. And this is the problem with our faith. Our faith in the one to which we pray. Or perhaps a wrong fear of the one to which we pray. What I mean by that is that many of us know how and what we ought to pray for, but we don't. Because we fear that God may actually work and we enjoy our idols still a little too much. But back to the problem of our faith, or lack thereof, that causes our prayers together to be so meager. Simply put, I think we don't believe that God is willing and able to do mighty things in our days. Or to say it another way, we don't trust that He will fulfill the promises that He has made to us among us. What promises, you might ask? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's the promise. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why? Well, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And finally, we heard this morning, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, are these promises precious to you? Then what of the God who made them? Is he worthy? Is he trustworthy? Will he accomplish what he has set out to do? Or to say it another way, another promise, he who began a good work in you will see it to what? Completion. Do you believe that? If God has so given us the golden rope of his promises, shouldn't we gather as often as we can and pull on that rope over and over and over again? Trusting Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Spurgeon called us to this truth in this way. If we are to receive such a blessing tonight and whenever we meet together in the name of Jesus for prayer and praise, we must sincerely desire it, confidently expect it and go straight to God to ask for it. So over the coming weeks, we'll consider more what we are to ask for and to confess over and to thank God for. But tonight it is enough to drive the point home. Faith in God looks like bringing our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to Him in prayer and to do it together. Now, those are the two temptations. Temptations allow our prayers to be meager things that we don't give attention to, to train our children to be meager prayers, to allow our brothers and sisters to continue to be meager in their praying, mostly because of those two things. Temptation, to be of this world, not just be in it, but be of it. And a temptation to not believe God, trusting his words to us are true. So how do we combat it? How do we fight it? To answer that this evening, I want to first take up Spurgeon's practical instructions on prayer meetings and then close by meditating on the reason we can have such boldness, okay? So this is really practical. How did Spurgeon direct his own people to pray and to gather together? He said, the surest way to promote godliness abroad is to labor for it at home. And that they did. In the first talk, he begins by saying, how often we've gathered and there's only been four or five of us praying together. But what a lovely sight to now see hundreds of you here. How do we get there? Well, six ways that they went about it. And I want you to note the similarities. We are really aiming to be unoriginal around here. Okay. So, number one, I'm just going to read uh, his admonitions here. The first one out of the six. Let the minister himself set a very high value upon this means of grace. Here Spurgeon makes the argument that if the church is going to hold prayer in a high regard, it must start with the shepherd leaders. For the sheep can only go as far as their pastors lead them. This is why we throw our backs into these prayer meetings. This is why we announce them week after week after week. Oh man, here he goes up here at the pulpit again talking about how we're going to have prayer tonight at 6 o'clock. Yes. This is why we take up applications for them in our sermons. I think you did it in both your sermons the last two weeks, brother. And why we chew them up. 
When we gather together as elders every once in a while, we'll just chew this meeting up and we will rip it apart and we'll think, how can we do it better? That's the first one. Next, Spurgeon argued that let the brethren labor their brevity. What does he mean by that phrase? Interestingly, these statements on keeping the prayers of the people short and sweet is his longest encouragement. But to summarize it, as you often hear us say, Spurgeon argues for here, the best prayers are the ones that are straight to the point. Or to say it another way, the longer it gets, the less zeal it has, and the less likely your brothers and sisters can agree with you in saying amen. Spurgeon goes on here to argue that there's no need for one person to take all the prayer requests and the praise and pray them for himself. But instead, pick one or two and move on so others may take it up. He gives the example of if you had a board and you had a bunch of nails in the board, it wouldn't make sense for one person to just go through and tap each one of the nails. But instead, let every person take up a hammer and drive one nail home. That's what we want to do here. The third thing Spurgeon hands us is this. Persuade the brethren to pray aloud. To pray aloud. Now, for some of you, this is no trouble. But for others, maybe those of you who are newer Christians or those who are of the more introverted variety, praying aloud is frightening and a fearful thing. But it need not be. Spurgeon made the point this way. If a child may not talk at all till it can speak fluent English, will it ever learn to speak well? There should be a process of education going on continually by which all the members of the church shall be able to contribute of their experience and gifts. And in such a way, in such a course of development, the first hesitating, stumbling, ungrammatical prayer of a confused Christian may be worth more to the church than the best prayer of the most eloquent pastor. Friends, I would trade up all of my time to praying on Sunday nights if some of you would take it up. If every one of us felt like we must take part in these prayer meetings out of a duty to God's people and keeping with our church covenant, I believe that duty would move into a good interest and eventually overflow into love for praying with and for God's people. All right, moving on to number four. Encourage the attendants to send in special requests for prayer as often as they feel constrained to do so. These little scraps of paper in themselves, most truly prayers, may be used as kindling to the fire of the whole assembly. What is he saying? If there's something burdening your heart to pray for, please let us know ahead of time. Jot it down on a piece of paper. Send us a text. Send us an email. Let us take it up together. Let us go to God as a whole body, bringing before him what is on upon our hearts. Two more encouragements from Spurgeon. Let me blow through these. Number five, suffer neither hymn nor chapter nor address to supplant prayer. What does he mean here? Don't let anything take away from the praying of the church, no matter how good and noble it might be. I remember when I first came here to Waverly five years ago that they had a Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And that Wednesday evening prayer meeting considered, uh, consisted of singing a song or two a half-hour-long Bible study, followed by a sad ten minutes of one or two people praying. Now, singing and study are good, but that gathering should not have been called a Wednesday evening prayer meeting because prayer was the, least, the thing they did the very least. When we gather to pray, we're going to pray. Finally, Spurgeon encourages our gatherings when he says this. Number six, 
It is not at all amiss to let two or even three competent brethren succeed each other without Paul's. Now to this one I want to add, it is wise to let as many of our members who are as able and willing to pray all in a row do so. So if we sit here and we pray for 45 minutes, prayers of adoration, so be it. Now to this one I would add, the adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to move. We've been given opportunity to pray, so we should take it. And here, I also want to make one final note on the joyful sounds of children praying. While it is right and good for our children to pray, if for no other reason so that they learn how to talk to God even before they know Him in a salvific way, in these gatherings of God's people who have committed to one another in this place, in this time, we should not use the excuse of letting the children pray to rob us who are members of this church from taking up the means of grace that God has given us. It's also right and good that our children, in keeping with James 1, being slow to speak and quick to listen, and keeping with Titus 2, of letting the older teach the younger, it's also good to help our children learn to be slow to speak and quick to listen, that they may be like Ruth, who gleaned wheat after others had came through and harvested. Okay, so those are Spurgeon's practical encouragements towards prayer. There's something that undergirds all of this, and I'll close here this evening, our spiritual reality that these practical means only act to foster. And what is it? It is God's willingness to bless saints and sinners. It is God's joyful desire to grant us our request, request and to receive our meager coming to Him. Like any father, our Heavenly Father delights in our desire to lean upon Him, to trust in Him, to ask Him for His glorious aid. His own word tells us so. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And Jesus Himself tells us in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What shall we ask? We're going to come to that later. Why should we ask? Here is our answer. It is because of who He is. He is our Father who gives. As Pastor David unfolded for us this morning, Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So that I don't labor too much then, let me close with one more quote from Spurgeon to end our time. Dear friends, he says, I think that many of these evening meetings for prayer will never be forgotten by us who have been privileged to be present at them. Perhaps even throughout eternity, we shall gratefully recall the hallowed hours that we have spent here around the throne of grace. I know that very often as I have gone home, I have felt that the spirit of prayer has been so manifestly poured out in our midst that we have been carried right up to the gates of heaven. May it be so among us. Let me pray. 
Father, we do pray and we ask, Lord, that you would grant us access to that throne through Jesus Christ. May we take up prayer with greater zeal. May you bring all of those who have committed themselves back here weekly to gather to pray. Help us to know how to encourage and admonish and perhaps even rebuke one another to be here together to pray. We ask all of this not for ourselves, but so that you may be glorified and so that you may work among us. We do ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.